0: Our text this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of the coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things remain as they were from the beginning of the creation. As we began our study of this epistle of Second Peter, we saw in the first two chapters Peter warning about false teachers, those that would desire to make merchandise out of believers. And then in verse 1, and also with verse 2 of the third chapter of the epistle, Peter states that it's his intent to stir up our minds by way of remembrance. And now in these verses today, we move into a discussion concerning the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because it is one of the things that was under attack as Peter writes this epistle. Let's look at it, beginning with verse 3. Then, of the third chapter of Second Peter, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, as is typical with our study of the original languages, we recognize that there is a different word order in the Greek. I find that fascinating because Peter, who is doing the writing, spoke Galilean. or As a Galilean, he spoke Aramaic, and as I commented in the study guide, an Oklahoma version of Aramaic. The Galileans were noted for their butchering of the language, of the grammar, and uh, yet as we read this epistle, in the Greek language, we recognize that the only way Peter could have written it was through the spiritual gifting that God provided in the early days of the church, the gift of tongues, so that Peter writes in a style that many of the scoffers and mockers would say Peter didn't write that, Peter was not capable of using that form of grammar but we recognize he wrote under the direction of the holy spirit as the he was moved by the spirit of god and the legitimate use of the gift of tongues was to be able then to proclaim these truths in an exact language that we would be able to rely upon then in the future years. The word order in the Greek is not Peter's, it's the Holy Spirit's, as the Holy Spirit guides Peter's thinking and his writing as he writes this. So he says, this first knowing, this first knowing, as Peter sets the stage for giving us some information concerning the Second coming of our Lord, He points to, uh, points us to the reality of the marvelous truth and the reality that this life is not all, but that Christ is coming again. He came as we have seen in our studies in the first advent as a servant. He is coming the next time as a king and as a judge as He makes that appearance. But there are scoffers in the time in which Peter is writing, and they are, they need to be rebuked, and as Peter addresses that, he said, this first thing you need to know. Now the word knowing is translated from the Greek word gnoskates, and it means continuing or continue making it a matter of principle to be taking in knowledge. There is not a point at which we have arrived in the knowledge of the Word of God. For the deeper we dig into it, the deeper it is. And when we think that we have exhausted all the aspects of examining a particular passage of Scripture we suddenly discover that there are some avenues that we did not see as we attempt to harmonize that and correlate it with other scriptures. So he's not talking about simply having a knowledge that we have acquired, but he emphasizes this first knowing, continue making it a matter of principle to be taking in Knowledge. If we ignore that instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ as He gave it in His first advent, then we will misunderstand what He said concerning the future. And if we ignore what He has said about the future, we may become discouraged in our walk. And so Peter says this is to be a continual process of our taking in knowledge. We might use the word study or perhaps more fitting the word learning to continue to be learning. But the emphasis is upon our involvement in the process of taking in knowledge. So he says the first thing that I want to direct you to is that you continue, you make it a principle, to continue to take in knowledge. Now, the word that is used here identifies the process, not the finished product, not just having knowledge, but the process of continually studying and receiving knowledge as it is given to us in the Word of God. Now, there's some who misunderstand that and go out in an attempt to look for something new, to explore a new view or a new interpretation. Uh, there's enough of the pure Word of God that will keep us busy in a lifetime that we don't need to explore all the other avenues of religious thought as we base our understanding of God's plan upon the Word that He has revealed but we need to be continually involved in that process of taking in knowledge. Now, as it relates specifically to that which Peter is making reference, he said that there shall come during the last times scoffers. In the process of taking in knowledge, that will give us an ability to deal with the scoffers But in the taking in of the knowledge that's revealed in the Word of God, we are constantly reminded that there are false teachers, that there are self-appointed prophets, that there are those then that attempt to make a, a profit off of the church or off of believers and use believers for merchandise. And they are going to be in, many of them are going to be involved in mocking The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he says, there shall come during the last of the days, Peter has already identified as long as, along with the apostle John, that these are the last times. Now, we have now been almost 2,000 years in these last times. But this period of time is identified then as the last times. John makes that statement. Peter identifies that as well. And so there are going to be those that will come. Now it's interesting to see the word that is translated will come because it's a verb that indicates an action and it's in the middle voice They are not coming on their own, but they are coming in participation. There is a structured plan of Satan to deceive the nations, to deceive people. And so they will participate in the satanic plan that has been addressed already in this epistle. They will participate in bringing During these last days, uh, there's going to be scoffers that are going to be mocking. Now, the word scoffers is translated from the Greek word impietai, and uh, it can be translated mockers or scoffers. It carries the the idea of a, it's actually a word from uh, the legal field, uh, and it's, it's a compound word that's made up of two words. One to imitate a child, as a child would imitate, and then the other aspect uh, of that then to use it in mockery. It's, it's a compound word of one who plays like a child in imitating, and then that preposition that gives it intensity, and so scoffer or mocker uh, is a negative term, as it is set forth for us here. These in these last days, uh, scoffers, those that are going to be making fun of what the uh, the apostles have been teaching and what Jesus promised uh, they're going to be uh, walking about uh mocking uh, the statements of the second coming of our Lord. Peter uses the word po ruminoi to identify the activity that they're going to be involved in. And it's, it's a participle, so it's a matter of principle. They're going to be participating as a matter of principle in going about in their own activities, not the plan that God has established, not the day-by-day day direction that the Holy Spirit has been sent to guide us in, but in their own activities. They will be participating in the agenda of the God of this world, the God of this age, uh, Satan and his, uh, attempt to, uh, de- defeat the prophets and the apostles as they are presenting the gospel message. So they're going to be participating in that satanic plot uh, in the sphere of mocking, uh, and they are going to be motivated to do that by their own lust. The text says, After, and that word after, kata, means according to the norms and standards of their own lust. Not the plan of God, but their own lust. We have examined uh, the reality that the scripture identifies three specific areas of lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These false teachers are motivated by their own particular lust desire. It may be for materialism. Uh, It may result to uh, their desire to make a profit off of you monetarily. Uh, It may be uh, related to their ego and their pride that motivates them to make a mockery of the things that God has revealed concerning His second coming. But it could also be then related to the satisfaction of their own sensual desires. And certainly history records that the false prophets and the false teachers uh fell within uh, those three different categories uh depending upon the uh, particular lust pattern of the false prophet or the false teacher then is his motivation to mock and make fun of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ it had been 30 to 35 years the the epistle of second peter was probably written around 64 uh, ad and christ was crucified on the cross in 30 ad so at this writing uh, 30 to 35 years uh, have passed Uh, When Jesus left, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so there was the immediate anticipation that an imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ would no doubt be during their lifetime. As the book of Revelation was given and other prophecies were revealed through the apostles, they came then to better understand that God had a time frame and a structure uh, and one day as with the lord uh, a thousand years is like one day with him in some of his writing but as we look in the book of revelation and we just recently went through that in a review and we are reminded then of the uh, distinct periods of time that god revealed He revealed that in 95 A.D. Peter is writing in 60 to 65 A.D. And so he had not received that uh, breakdown and structure of the church age and the various periods that were going to be examined in it. And so there were those that were saying, where is he? He said he was going. And if he went, he was coming back. Where is he? And... uh, So, in verse 4, Peter says, uh, And saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. These scoffers are making some absurd remarks that nothing has changed since the beginning of time. Well, Peter will point out as we move through this third chapter He will point out the reality of things having changed and the inaccuracy of their statements as they uh, try to make a mockery of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? The word saying in verse 4 is a participle which means they're going to make it a matter of principle to keep on saying where keeps on being the promise of His coming. The word promise, Epangalia in the Greek, is that thing that was promised in a response to a need. And this is a term that was borrowed uh, from uh, the legal field, uh, it's used in reference to a contract, an obligation to fulfill a contract, uh, and to deliver that which has been promised. So they use that term to, uh, question, uh, the, the return of the Lord, uh, where is the fulfilled contract? He said, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He has not fulfilled that. He said, I go to my Father and prepare a place for you. He has not filled that. Where is the fulfillment of the contract that He is coming again? The specific contract is identified here in the text. Uh, uh the contract of the coming of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they insert in the midst of that, for since from the beginning things have not changed. Actually, the text as Peter uh, records it is, where is the promise of His coming? And for since... The fathers fell asleep. All things continue as they were since the fathers fell asleep. The statement that things had not changed since the fathers fell asleep is a little bit different in the original text. It doesn't say they fell asleep, but they were put to sleep there is an appointment of time that God has for each and every one of us as believers. He has allotted the number of days, the number of months, the number of years that we are to live upon the earth, and our departure is as a result of the hand of God and the circumstances that he has established in the pattern related to life. The word put to sleep is in the passive voice. So the fathers uh, lived out their design and met their appointment. And uh, then uh, the idea of God calling that number, God identifying the completed work, and taking that individual home. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Now Peter will address that more specifically uh, as we look at it in the weeks that follow as we go through this third chapter. But they the sculptors are saying since the the act of creation, things have remained the same. Well, we know as we look at the Word of God that we just barely get into the Word of God in the first chapter uh, in the book of Genesis when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then in the very next verse, and the earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep things changed in the first two verses of the bible concerning the the observance of past history the reference here is made beyond that time though as it speaks of the fathers and that would in their thinking include men like abraham and isaac and jacob that would be identified as the fathers and so much has changed uh, as it relates to uh the earth and and man's dwelling upon it. And so Peter's going to address that for us in the chapter that we are investigating. An expanded translation of these two verses says, This first, continue making it a matter of principle to be taking in knowledge that there will come during the last of the days mockers participating as a matter of principle in going about in their own activities in the sphere of mocking according to the standard of their own lust. And continually making it a principle to keep on saying, where keeps on being the thing which was promised based on your response? The arrival... And the continued presence of Him. For from the day when the fathers were put to sleep, all things continue to remain as from the beginning of the creative act. So immediately we recognize the lack of reliability upon the claim of the mockers, because all things had not continued as they were from the beginning. And Peter will document that for us and help us with our development of an apologetic argument against those scoffers today who raise the same questions and make the same accusations. Peter warns then, continue to make it a principle to constantly take in knowledge Noah concerning the false teachers that will come. The first doctrinal truth that we need to hang on to in this passage today is the reality that we are to continue to take in knowledge. If we continue to take in knowledge that is revealed in the Word of God will not be affected by the false teachers. You'll recognize false doctrine only on the basis of your continuing to take in the Word of God. The Word of God reveals to us truth. It is the truth of God. And if we have a full knowledge of that truth, then we are not deceived. But to the extent that we know the Word of God will be our degree of ability to recognize false teaching and false teachers as they participate in this mockery. Those false teachers thrive on a lack of knowledge of most believers. As a matter of fact, the prophet Amos in the Old Testament spoke of a time of the famine of the Word of God in the last days. The reality of that famine in our day is certainly visible to all that would simply look about them. And the emphasis uh, from the pulpit is to, today to advance the social agenda rather than the proclamation and the fundamental teaching of the applicational principles that are found in the Word of God by which we are to live. We are truly in that Laodicean period of the Church Age. The spirit, that period of great spiritual awakenings uh, that was associated with the Philadelphian period of the Church Age has been phased out with a replacement of the gospel message that identified sin and proclaimed redemption and the message of salvation, that has been replaced with an emphasis today on the social issues. Our lifestyle and our freedoms here in the United States are threatened seriously today by the dwindling number of professing Christians that has resulted then in the changing of a culture to a culture that is no longer shaped by the principles found in the Word of God. The founding fathers warned against this very thing and several of the founding fathers actually established uh, uh, Bible societies in order to preserve the Word of God that would in turn preserve the culture and the preserve our freedom as a nation. It's interesting to look into uh, their involvement with the Word of God and the actual founding of Bible societies to promote the reading of the Word and the distribution of the Word of God by the founding fathers. But they recognized if there was a departure from the Word of God, there would be nothing that would perform the adhesiveness needed to keep this culture united and to preserve a constitutional republic. But the Laodicean church period has allowed the Bible to be removed from the classroom and the last couple of weeks you've seen on the news taken out of school libraries in the state of Utah uh, which was supposedly based on uh, Joseph Smith's understanding of God's uh, direction and life for us. Uh, Now they have removed the Bible from the school libraries, uh, and uh, we are seeing that famine of the Word of God that Amos spoke about so many years ago. Today, churches have replaced the teaching of the Word of God with a verbal telling of the story And the reason they want to verbally tell the story according to the founders of this movement is that they can modify the story to fit the culture and therefore not be offensive to those that they are sharing the modified version of the Word of God with. Sin no longer is identified. The word sinner has been replaced by the word seeker. Wokeism and acceptism are the talking points from today's pulpits. The enemy knows that if he is to be able to gain control of our society, he has to eliminate the belief in God and the guiding principles that are found in the Bible. Today he's effectively carrying out that deceptive agenda. Peter said, There will be mockers in the last days who will conduct themselves in the sphere of their own lust. They began with an attack on creation. In the universal Adoption of a far more radical faith requiring belief that of evolution it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in evolution that we have evolved to what we are as an accident in space when uh, two bodies collided. They haven't been able to identify where those bodies that collided originated to begin with either, but uh, we recognize that that doctrine of evolution has become uh worldwide uh it had a struggle at the beginning especially here in the United States uh Darwin's uh uh big book uh was banned uh from the schools and then there were there were lawsuits and there were debates and pretty soon evolution replaced Christianity's view of creation, and uh, we have seen that evolve a number of times. It's really interesting to see some of the programs uh, that are being broadcast today that uh, reveal uh, a modification of Darwinism. Uh, the uh, development Uh, that Darwin projected became the universal, uh, accepted uh, view of creation. But now we've got a whole different concept by the evolutionists themselves that say, well, Darwin was wrong about this. And, of course, even now we have those that are saying, well, the ancients uh, from outer space came and they manipulated the DNA of, uh, of humans and they are among us today and they are working, uh, that and so they're, they're modifying the view of evolution, <clears throat> but they're not going back to the view of creation in the process of that. The enemy knows that if he can develop this concept of no God, then he will be able to control society much easier. Peter said then that these mockers were going to come and gave us plenty of of warning concerning uh, the evolutionary processes that were going to be taught and the departing uh, away from uh, the Word of God. A number of years ago I was had the opportunity to address a group of world leaders and educators at a, a meeting they called the first global, first annual global peace leadership conference. It was held in Los Angeles and we were invited to be on the program. That otherwise vociferous conference attendees became unusually quiet when I said we could not hope to change man's behavior without, reg- with regard to peace with others unless we changed our teaching concerning his origin. I stated to that group If you continue to teach that a man is an evolved creature, then we can only expect animal behavior as the norm. But if we teach that man was created in the image of God, we have a higher standard to which we can call them. I don't know if that had anything to do with my... That was the first annual one. I've never been invited back (laughs) to another one. But by eliminating the creation, the enemy then is able to deny the existence of God, of a Creator. If they can deny the existence of a creator, then they can nullify the authenticity of the Bible. And where there is no Bible, there is no moral code. Without a moral code, we lack that adhesiveness to hold a society together. Without the authority of the Bible... There's no absolute guide for morality and human conduct and hence the chaos that we see in our society today is a result of the mockery of the enemy. Peter said, they will challenge the very thing that has been promised to you based on your response, that is the arrival and the continued presence of Christ. If there is no creation, then there is no creator. If there is no creator, then there is no revealed plan for society. Because God is eternal. No beginning and no ending with him It's sometimes difficult for us then who are tied to time and to space to understand the long waiting of God. And yet the progressive prophetic revelation of His Word can certainly be seen from our historical viewpoint back to the time in which Peter was writing a simple review of history, the history of Christianity and the church, when laid alongside the prophetic writing of the uh, second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, which lay out a panorama of the coming church history, we simply look at the events of the past and we can very definitively draw lines where we move from the church at Ephesus to the church then at Thyatira and or to at uh, Sardis and then from Sardis to Pergamus and from Pergamus uh, to Thyatira and from Thyatira then we continue to see the plan of God as it spells out that first advent of that revelation was designed to give us an understanding of the time plan. Peter did not have access to that because it had not yet been given. Those seven letters had not yet been dictated by the Lord himself to the Apostle John. And now from this historical view, we can draw the lines as to uh, so with some of them to the exact day and the year that we move from one of those periods to the other. The others are, very, are kind of general, but we are able to clearly see how that breaks down. And we have followed that and laid that out in the past. From Ephesus to Smyrna, from Smyrna to Pergamus, and from Pergamos to Thyatira, and from Thyatira to Sardis, and from Sardis to Philadelphia, and we are in the Laodicean period today. The parallels of history declare God is working out His plan. The mockers find a ready following among biblical illiterate believers as we experience a famine of the Word of God. There was, uh, when the Word of God is not being taught, there is a vacuum and in that vacuum we find all forms of false doctrine then is generated. Jesus said to the Jews that believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. In John chapter 8, Peter said that they will attempt to persuade you that nothing has changed since the creative act itself. The false teachers claim that even during the time of the patriarchs, nothing has changed since creation. False doctrine is only effective with those that do not have true doctrine. The agenda of the false prophets, of the false teachers, is to establish control and make profit to satisfy their own lust pattern. And today it's clearly evident that their agenda is working and biblical illiterates buy into that agenda in the name of diversity and equity. I've encountered an amazing thing during my years as a Christian. I've met hundreds of believers who would pledge they would die for the cause. Believers who truly believe the Bible is the Word of God, and yet the majority of them have never read it through. Most have never read large portions of the Bible. Believers attest to their belief but they seldom explore its message beyond the text of that particular week's sermon as they listen to it. As we prepare for Peter's explanation then of the willful ignorance of these false teachers as his documentation of not only what has changed, but as his revelation to us of what will change, why not read the three chapters of this epistle this week? No time? Three chapters. What, 64 verses? That we can, 61 verses, I guess. Surely that's not too much to ask to read in a week in our pursuit of understanding and knowing God's unique design for each one of us. So let me challenge you to do that. I remember well the day I was challenged by a missionary who had returned uh, from Romania. Uh, The communists had taken over Romania and run all of the Christian missionaries out. And... He came to our church for two weeks. Wasn't much in-depth teaching during that two weeks, but it was a revival, as Baptists were prone to do, with the evangelistic message being uh, repeated uh, each morning and each evening. Yeah, we actually had church every morning and every evening uh, for two weeks during that period of time. And uh, uh, Dr. Craighead, was the missionary's name and he said, I'm going to challenge you to read the Bible through. He said, I'm going to be here two weeks. See how much of the Bible you can read in this two-week period. Well, I was a pretty avid reader as a nine-year-old. I had just gotten an award uh, just a week or two before at the end of the school year for winning uh the contest of reading the most books. I read 78 books during that school year. And um, so it was summer now and I didn't have any better thing to do and so I started reading the Bible. And I read it through twice in two weeks. A nine-year-old read the Bible through twice in two weeks. I try to read it through every year. There are times when I don't follow a specific plan, but it works better if you follow a specific plan. It kind of keeps you on track. If you were to read two Old Testament chapters a day and one New Testament chapter a day, you'd read the Bible through in a year. You have to get on a little heavier schedule if you're going to do it in two weeks. <laughs> so I'm not challenging you to do it in two weeks. I'm challenging you to read these three chapters this week in order that we might have a little review of where we've been and that we might understand more emphatically where we're going in our study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth is one of the first verses that I memorized as a nine-year-old. And that was because we had in our church a church training program. Uh, well, they called it uh, a training union at that time, but got to be more Republicans, and so they dropped a the union from it. But we had uh, uh, that the, the theme for the church training hour. It was... On Sunday morning, we had Sunday school and, and then church. And on Sunday night, we had training union in church. And uh, the motto for the training uh, program of the church was study to show thyself approved unto God, workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to heed that and apply that in our lives. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says with the heart man believes unto righteousness but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What translation you read this week in reading through these three chapters, I'll leave that to you. We're going to modify some of the translation as we work with the original language. If you want to read it in the Koine Greek, uh, be sure that you have a a dictionary alongside so you understand it. Uh, The gift of tongues was removed with the completion of the Bible. And so we need to read it in a language that we can understand. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray for a zeal, a hunger, a thirst for its truth, that we might better understand Your plan and design for each of our lives, for our own personal relationship with You, in our daily walk until Christ comes again or until we are called into Your presence. So give us, we pray, a zeal for that and help us find, make the time that we might become doers of the Word as well. For we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen.